Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Lachlan. Hi. And Justin. So in this week's episode, we're going to be looking about immunology and our approaches to helping solve some of the biggest medical challenges that we face, including cancer, malaria, HIV, vaccine, uh, vaccines and viruses, and antibiotic resistance. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. I'm not a huge expert on immunology and I'm not a huge expert on biology, but fortunately I have Lockham with me here to help explain some of the challenges that we face in these areas. So let's kick it off with some of the big ones. What exactly is the field of immunology and how does it actually work? What are we studying and researching and trying out to help solve some of these big challenges that we face as a society? So immunology is the study of the immune system. So the first thing we think about when we think of the immune system is fighting diseases. But that's not actually all there is because a lot of things enter our body that isn't us. We eat food, we breathe in dust. And all those things interact with our body and our body has to decide what is harmful and what we can allow to enter our body and be fine. And so the immune system is sort of the delicate balance between fighting invaders and not destroying yourself. And so it's, it's really our police force that governs how the body operates. But at the same time, it's also like the legal system going, no, actually, this is fine. We allow that. We're watching it, but we think that's fine. Whereas, you know, this actually we need to take some action on or we need to take an approach to. Yes, and I think also one of the most interesting things is when it does take action, it's not like a police force, it's more like an army. And there's a diverse range of, of different um, sort of artillery that we use to fight different threats in the body. Okay, so let's, let's talk about some of those different responses that our body can take to a threat or, or an issue that we come up with. Okay, so it really depends on the threat. Um, so we have like viruses, bacteria, and parasites are like the three big fungi as well, but we don't really talk about those as much. <laughs> um, so that like the three different types of threats. So we take viruses, for example, viruses puncture cells, infect them, and then hijack the cell's own protein creating complex to actually start generating more viruses rather than generating our body's own cells. So they're like parasitic zombie things that come inside your cells, hijack them, and then make them do their own nefarious purposes. Exactly. So it's like um, you take a factory that is making books for school children and start making manufacturing guns. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's a pretty big shift. <laughs> yeah. So, so you... what, what's some examples of viruses that we interact with? Obviously, oh. HIV is, is one type of virus. Yeah, so I think the, the, the two biggest would be um, HIV and rhinovirus, which is the common cold, or influenza as okay. well. So they're two different versions of two different colds, but yeah. yeah. Um, and so what's really amazing about them is it's turning the body against itself in a really, really directed way. And because they infect the body's own cells, it can be really hard to fight. Because, like, bacteria, you can kill bacteria. Because they're a foreign entity that sort of entered your, your body. Exactly. And they're easily identifiable, whereas these are hijacked cells. They look much the same as the normal cells in the body and therefore are harder for the army to pick up. They're hiding in plain sight. That's right. And so what the body actually has to do is basically send out secret distress signals <laughs> to kill the body's own cells. So the, um, the cells that have been infected actually volunteer to be destroyed 
to prevent their friends from being infected as well. And that's obviously when you're when you're having your own cells destroyed in this process, it weakens you to a certain extent because you're 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 basically killing your own cells in order to keep you long term healthier, but short term potentially weaker. That's right. And that's why you feel sick and weak, and that's why it takes so much energy when you're sick because these immune responses are actually quite complicated and they take a lot of energy to actually mount. So when, so when you have a, a vaccine, for example, um, what that prevents, uh, it basically, so how does that work to prevent, the vaccines prevent viruses? Um, antiviral vaccines are actually quite tough um, yeah. and they are mostly around um, trying to prevent viruses from entering the cell. Okay. But that's quite difficult mm. um, because they're extraordinarily, com extraordinarily complex. They can infect in different ways because they're always mutating. They're always trying to find new ways to get in. So. That's, that's right. So that's why it's really, really hard to come up with like a vaccine for, for, for HIV because it's something that's constantly changing, much the same way as the cold or the, um, the flu viruses. Um, they're constantly changing, which means it's hard to come up with a consistent vaccine for that. We do have some things on our side. Um, so basically what a vaccine is trying to do is it's trying to show the body's immune cells um, what a threat looks like. So when they see a certain signal, they can then mount an attack against it. So yep. they're, they're teaching them to look extra carefully for any secret distress signals, basically. Yep. Um, and we also have um, there's a lot of new technologies coming out around um, nanotech um, and a lot of new interesting polymer chemistry that's making new vaccines that are more powerful um, and they do this basically by, um, instead of just having one receptor that targets onto one immune cell, they can now make a giant branch thing that alerts 10 or 20 immune cells at once. And that means that they actually have a 100 or 200 fold reaction to the threat. So they're much more effective and obviously have much higher efficiency rate. That's right, yeah. Uh, another thing that's really interesting is they've actually, um, and this comes from other biology where um, they've analysed the chitin, which is what a lot of insects are made of, uh, or at least their skin's made of, um, and for some reason chitin reacts really well with the immune system. So they've made like um, a weird three-dimensional chitin structure called a microcube. And if you <laughs> <laughs> if you chuck um, some virus particles into that and put it into the body. For some reason, the body goes absolutely nuts, and it just knows automatically, I need to fight this thing. This thing is really bad. Mm. But the first, I mean, you've got to put the virus into the chitin tube in the first place. That's right, and that's quite tough. But it's also an example of why um, biology is really interesting and important, because just by studying animals and studying life, you find all these interesting quirks and all these different little things and uses that you wouldn't actually expect if you didn't analyse these living creatures. Alright, so that covers viruses, and there's a lot of different types of viruses out there, but what other kinds of threats do our bodies face and from invaders, and uh, how do we deal with them? Well, obviously another one would be bacteria, so stuff like E. coli. Now these guys are like micro... Normally we have um, microorganisms in our, in our gut, and our skin, everywhere. Like, they live in us. We actually have more microorganisms than cells, so we're actually more not us than we are us. So let's take it back back a step there. Like vax, so viruses are basically non-living entities. They're another type of life to normal life as we consider, and uh, they're almost like mini machines, robots on a on a That's biological right. cellular level, and they're really fascinating and cool. Bacteria are living organisms. 
much like the various other living microbes that we have inside us. That's There's right. a fundamental difference between them there. They don't need us to live. Right. They live on their own. Yes. So um, what? So back, what kind of bacteria, like E. coli, what, what can they do to us? Um, they're really, really good at um, colonizing places they're not supposed to. Right. So, for example, E. coli is normally found in your gut, and it helps break down big fatty acids and stuff like that. Yep. But if you get that in a cut, suddenly they can enter your bloodstream, colonize your bloodstream, and they can produce toxins and little dangerous molecules that um, are really good at messing up a lot of different biological functions, like breathing. <laughs> That's obviously <laughs> very important. Um, and cellular repair, because what, what their game is, if they make the host weak, they can continue living there. So they basically right. try and break down all of your life functions so they can colonize you. Yeah, so, so as opposed to viruses, which sort of inject themselves into your living cells and hijack it for its own nefarious purposes, Bacteria are just spreading. These guys are trying to kill you. Yeah, these guys are trying to kill you. They're literally just spreading because they're their own growing organism. Yeah. Okay. And you're like um, a fresh field. Yeah, fresh field of grass, as opposed to uh, uh, the viruses which are trying to live inside the grass and hollow them out. Yeah, which is a lot, you know, scarier. Yes, less harder to see. So, how does our body fight bacteria? Well, luckily, um, so bacteria just trying to kill us. Um, that's All the quite time. obvious. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're producing poison everywhere, and they're trying to get places they're not supposed to. So, the immune system um, sort of the immune system accounts for this by recognizing a lot of the things on the surface of bacteria. So, everything they use to move, to eat, to replicate, um, there are specific cellular signals um, that your body can recognize that can automatically recognize and fight them um, straight off the bat. Right, right. So that it's much easier for the army, obviously, to pick up an invading enemy force. You don't need a secret signal. No. You know the enemy's colours, and you can attack them straight away. Right. But um, I, I suppose that would be interesting because, I mean, as you mentioned, E. coli is obviously present in our stomach, and we have a lot of microbial life in our in our bodies already in certain places. So how does the body distinguish between things that it, it knows about and when it's in a place that it shouldn't be? Um, it's an exquisitely um, complex system. There's at least 50 or 60 receptors on any given immune cell, right. and they're all looking for different things in different concentrations. Um, so, for example, like um, the immune cells in your gut know not to attack E. coli because of other immune cells that are actively suppressing them at all times. Mm. So it's this really delicate balance between attack and defense and sort of um, reluctance to spread and spreading. So. And that, that's really quite fascinating that we, we have stuff that we use in our, inside our bodies, stuff that can be so dangerous and damaging to us as actually part of our normal internal operating process. If you don't have E. coli in your gut, you get sick. Hmm. Um, but not only do you get sick because you can't digest things, uh, it actually screws up your immune system. Hmm. So actually having bacteria in your gut is necessary for your immune system just to act normally. Of course, that's really fascinating. So being part of the vaccination process, so how does that work? Basically, instead of getting injected, you would have to eat tiny little bits of the pathogen. So you'd have to basically eat a tablet that had dead bacteria in it. To train your immune cells in your gut to respond to that? Yes. Okay, so what kind of things would that be preventing against? Because as you mentioned before, um, uh, the stomach the stomach and immune system knows to not kill E. coli because it's familiar with E. coli in there. It's being suppressed. So how do you? what threats that you would ingest... Uh, are you trying to block with a vaccine in that regard? Actually, one of the most um, applicable applicable things would be um, to stop people from rejecting tumors. Okay. 
So, um, now this is going to sound a bit weird, and this wouldn't quite work, but theoretically, if you had a kidney transplant, yes, and could somehow eat a little tiny bit of that kidney, yes, it would probably increase your chances of accepting the kidney. Right, so what we're talking about here is organ transplant, and making the body's response to it um, not be as bad. Basically increase the acceptance rate and stop the autoimmune system rejecting it. That's right. So there's a major risk in transplant because in transplant, when you take someone else's organs or even a fake organ and put it inside your body, your body tends to freak out because it's not what it had there before and it doesn't match up. As, as close as you can get it and close as you can get it to a human um, or even being um, made and mechanical, your body can still go, no, this doesn't belong here. I'm going to try and find it. And that's because the immune system, its literal function is to recognize outsiders and to fight them in most cases. To kill anything that doesn't line up, yeah. So I guess that makes sense. In the same way that you sort of train the body to be familiar with a new substance, you're also training it to recognize, hey, accept this new organ that's now part of you. That's right, yeah. That's, that's really fascinating. That's not quite a, quite a vaccine. That's more to increase um, acceptance rates. It's more of a tolerizing yeah. function, yeah. So we've talked about viruses which hijack living cells inside the body for their own nefarious purposes. And we've talked about bacteria, which is organisms that try and microbes that try and colonize your body as a, some sort of overtake it and overrun it. So what other threats can we face in the defense of the realm of the human body? Well, parasites are sort of like halfway between um, viruses and bacteria because they're not trying to kill you. Right. And they want you to keep living, but they want to keep having nutrients, like taking your nutrients and, and taking life from Right, right. So they want you to continue to be alive, to provide them with food, but they want to be able to spread as much as they can. Exactly. Right. And these are also a bit more, you know, creepy because yes. viruses <laughs> and bacteria yes. are really, really small, but tapeworms can be up to 10 metres yeah. long in yeah. your gut. Like, yes. they're disgusting and they're big and I don't like to research them because they're gross. And, and, and aside from the human areas as well, parasites and uh, parasitic relationships in animal kingdom is can be very terrifying. You can have um, small microbial worms that are micro, microbial, but small worms that can overtake the entire fish, for example. And the fish will keep pilot the fish. Yeah, they yeah. basically control and drive the fish. And uh, but they, you know, they, they just live inside it. And the fish is their home, and they have basically overtaken it. They live in its tongue. It's absolutely terrifying. They kill the tongue, and the tongue's the fish's tongue is replaced with this parasitic worm who lives inside the beach and eats all the food. I think that's um, because parasites are so much more advanced than bacteria or viruses. Well, they're a higher level organism. They have more complexity. And um, a lot of that complexity actually comes in how they overcome the immune system because right. um, they're really, really good at suppressing it. They're really good at hijacking the body's own suppressive responses into telling it, everything's fine, don't, don't fight this, this is normal. Mm. And so they actually put that into overdrive so the body doesn't have any immune responses at all to them. And this, I imagine there's actually a bit we could learn when we're talking before about helping organs be recognized as they belong. I'm assuming there's a lot you can learn from the way parasites behave to help improve organ acceptance rate. That's right. Um, in fact, there was a few studies or a few thoughts thinking that um, if you actually infect organ, donors, or organ transplant receivers with parasites, with localized parasites, or mimic those molecular cellular functions, mm. you could actually 
help suppress any response and rejection of those of, of those um, organs. And I'm assuming this hasn't obviously been widely used yet. It's an area of active research. It's an area of active research, and you know, instead of actually putting parasites into people, they're looking at having simulating the response. Yes, using yeah. drugs to simulate that, <laughs> as opposed to giving everybody parasites, which is of course a very bad and can lead to other effects that you're trying to solve with an organ transplant. Well, actually, Justin. Um, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> there was a guy, speaking of self-experimentation, there was a guy that infected himself with hookworm yep. um, to demonstrate um, how to stop people having allergies. You're going to have to run that past me again. So it was a hypothesis for a long time that allergies are a response from the body not having enough to fight, so it starts to fight itself. Right. So the idea was... When we were evolving, we normally had a commensal relationship with, with parasites. Parasites were in us, that was just the way we worked. But after we um, started to invent like modern hygiene techniques and sanitation, we could get rid of all those parasites, which made a more comfortable life for us. Mm. But also it meant that our immune system wasn't used to having these guys just chilling in us that they used, that they used to happen. And so the immune system went into overdrive. So it was a popular hypothesis. And um, there was a guy, I think it was also an Australian, because we all seem to be Australian. Look, we, we have a level of research integrity where we're like, we're not going to experiment on other people. If we, we have an idea and we think it's worth doing, clearly we can do it on ourselves. It's probably not a recommended board by the medical boards and the study boards as an ethical thing to do, but um, there has been a lot of groundbreaking research that's been done by this. He walked around um, barefoot in sewage. Right. <laughs> Until he got hookworms, and okay. he could actually demonstrate that his um his his allergies, I think they were dust allergies, um actually went down after he'd been infected with these parasites, due to their own regulatory functions. And that's really fascinating kind of fascinating approach to um finding some cross disciplinary use of our understanding, like. This is solving a problem in allergies by looking at a completely different related area, which is to do with parasites. Exactly. Well, allergy and immunology, the study of both are almost the same thing. Okay. But you're right. Um, the study of um, sort of um, microbiology is also what allows us to extend into pathology and seeing how does things make how do things make it sick? What do diseases actually do to the body and stuff like that? Um, but what's really really interesting is it actually has a lot to do with asthma as well. This response to worms because okay. how the body actually fights infections to parasites is it basically um, it sheds all of its skin in a layer of mucus, right? Gets rid of all the mucus and then patches up the skin, right? Um, because these things are too big to break down. These worms are uh, they're too big to break down, to digest, yep, yep. to do anything. So you have to just get rid, get get rid of them. Yeah. yeah, it's called the weep and sweep response. Get right. mucus, spit it out. Um, and you'll note um, if anyone ever has an asthma attack, um, it's their bronchioles getting really mucusy yep. and then expelling it. Right. And that's right. where they're sort of drawing that link between allergy and, and parasitic infection. Yep. Okay. So that just goes to show some of the, the fascinating things that you can learn by the study of the behaviour of parasites and what they can tell us about our own body's responses to all kinds of things. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. So we've just talked about some of the threats that our bodies face and the responses that our body takes to those threats, whether they be from viruses, bacteria or parasites. And what they can actually tell us about how body, our body reacts to other things, including organ transplants and even diseases such as asthma. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.